Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I'm so glad you're here today. I have had quite a weekend this last weekend, so this podcast might actually drop late because I got everything to my podcast producers super late this weekend because our family welcomed in a new puppy. I know so many families that have gotten puppies through COVID and just add us to the list. We have a brand new miniature Labradoodle. Her name is Sadie and I am just in love, but she is a lot of work. I forgot Uh, It's been a few years since I've been a baby mama, and she is just a ton of work. Um, But we are all so happy. She's absolutely adorable, and we are all in love with her. So enough about our puppy, but I just wanted to let you know um, how excited I am, and I wanted to share it with everyone. And if this podcast does drop on time this week, I just wanted to give a big shout out to my podcast producing team and say thank you so much for having my back. I really appreciate it. So as we dive into this week's episode, I want you to listen to the episode with this frame of mind, asking yourself this important question, why are you here? Why are you here? What special gift do you have to offer? That absolutely no one else in this world has to offer except you. It's your own special uniqueness. Some of us know what that specialness is from the day we were born, or at least maybe when we were four or five, we just automatically knew that we were going to be a doctor or that we were going to save the world like my guest today. But some of us don't always know what our special gift is, and we maybe have trouble finding it. And oftentimes it's because it's right in front of our eyes and We're thinking it should be something else than it is. So I would love to introduce you to my guest today, Dr. Toni Collis. She absolutely knew from the time she was five years old that she was going to change the world. My new friend, Dr. Toni, is an ex-corporate tech C-suiter turned success, leadership, and strategy coach for women in the tech industry. She's an international speaker, and she's also the host of the Leading Women in Tech podcast. And I have to tell you, from the time I met Tony, we just absolutely hit it off. She is phenomenal, and she is all about making an impact. And what I love about what she'll share with you today is how she made an impact being an introvert. So many people have preconceived notions about introverts and extroverts and how and if they succeed. And I can't wait for Tony to share her story about how she got to the C-suite being an introvert. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with Tony Collis. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Tony, 
Tony, I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so excited about this interview, and you are calling across the pond. Yep, I am. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to join in. All the way from Scotland, it's where I live. I, I know. I'm so excited you're here. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to my audience and just share a little bit about your personal story and your career history. Yes. So I am a career success and leadership coach. I focus on elevating women in tech, partly because I was still am maybe a little bit a woman in tech, a woman who got all the way to the C-suite, despite being told that I wasn't going to get promoted, that I was only there because I was a woman and all the stereotypical things I've had a lot, not all of them, but a lot of them have happened to me. And at some point that just lit a fire inside me and I was like, we need to change this. We need to, to change this for the world. And I know that one of the things we're going to talk to about today is, is my journey to the C-suite. Um, but really, I do what I do because I think the more women that we have at the tech table, helping to make decisions, helping to innovate, getting heard, even just the act of being heard makes better decisions. Like the, if we are heard, then it means that we're more inclusive and when we're more inclusive, we make better decisions. We innovate more. Team IQ goes up. And I'm just, I think the world will be a better place when we reach that point. And so that's that's what I do. And that's why I'm here. <laughs> but I did, um, my career history is actually kind of unusual in many respects in that I started off in physics. I'm a physicist by training. I have a PhD in physics. And, you know, I started off stimulating DNA and, and water to understand how we can build better medicines. So it's kind of odd that I've ended up as a, a leadership coach. <laughs> and, but all the, all the way through my career, I realized that it was odd being the only woman in the room. I never realized how powerful it was to have other women in the room with me until I was in a room with women. I never thought I missed it. From the age of like 15, I've only ever been surrounded by men because I've always chosen subjects and activities that were male dominated and I didn't think that that was ever something that bothered me until the day I walked into a room full of women and I was like gosh I have been missing something here when women get to work with other women great things happen we elevate each other particularly when we're in a male dominated environment and we don't otherwise have that lifting of each other up. Gosh, we got very serious very quickly there. <laughs> no, I absolutely love it. I, I love that we just dove right in because it's exactly what it's exactly what's so important to my listeners to hear. I also worked in a very male-dominated industry. In the latter half of my career, it was more equal. Um, however, in the beginning of my career, you know, I worked in the food industry and it was all, it was very male dominated and it was very old boys network. Yeah. So I'm curious to know at what point in your career was it that you were able to walk into a room, be surrounded by women? Because, you know, I mean, obviously we've heard so much about women in tech specifically. The tech industry is so male dominated. So I would love for you to just to kind of share uh, you know, how long into your career it, it was before you walked into a room full of women and that realization of, wow, there's a lot of collaboration going on here, right? <laughs> it, it's interesting. I actually had to create the opportunity for myself. Um, it was not expected. 
So when I was a student, a physicist, I was a member of a women in physics groups. I was aware of women in physics events. I never actually went to any, though. That was the odd thing. And then I graduated. I realized what I wanted to do after my PhD was work with supercomputers. Um, and I was a programmer. And I got a job in a supercomputing center. And the project I was put on, my first project, had eight international partners, 40 or more staff on it across these eight international partners. I was the only woman and I felt so incredibly alone. I was literally have a weekly meeting with um, the people that managed me, who gave me insights, who were all men. I remember wearing a dress to work, which I didn't do very often. Um, and we'd have weekly meetings every week. They just treated me like anybody else. The day I wore a dress to work, they all stood up when I walked in the room. And I have never felt so different as on that day. And mm. something inside me just went, what is going on here? <laughs> I don't understand this. <laughs> Physics has a problem, but at least they acknowledge it. And they had all these women's events. And I, I never partook in them, but at least they had that. And I was like, okay, right then. <laughs> We're doing something about this. And actually, it is one of the ways I got to the C-suite was through my um, gender equality work. There's a complicated story around that, which I'll get to, but I basically was like, okay, fine, we're going to do something about this. We're going to have an event. We're going to have, I think we ran, I led the work to run a women in science and engineering event. Um, we put this together and I was just, actually, it was fascinating how many men helped me organize it. They were like waiting for somebody to, to do this. There were other oh, wow. women in my group, but very few of them wanted to step up. They were like, I'll be labeled as a woman. I'm like, well, yeah, you are a woman. Let's not be ashamed of this. Let's embrace it. Like it doesn't make it, you're not bad because you're a woman. And I think the more we do that, the more we internalize the fact that I don't want to be labeled as a woman because then I'm only given opportunities because I'm a woman. And that is not true. I am yet to meet a woman who's actually being given opportunities that they don't deserve. Quite the opposite. Right. Um, but it was creating that event and walking as the organizer into that room and seeing these women who who were like, I'm just here because it sounds like a good thing and I'm not really sure. And I wasn't sure about coming. And then them going, oh my goodness me, this is what's possible. This is how it feels. Mm. And then it snowballed from there. That lit a fire in me. I ended up forming an international charity, Women in High Performance Computing, the area I used to specialize in. Um, it, I thought that was just going to be a little Scottish thing <laughs> for people. <laughs> where, and within 12 yeah. months, it had snowballed and turned into this international thing with a thousand members across 68 countries. And the number of women who would come to our events at the major conferences and say, I'm not. I'm not here because I want to be a woman in high performance computing, but I just, I'm curious. And then they say to me, but this is where all my friends are. Uh, they weren't there for the, they didn't want to be labeled as the, the woman in tech event attendee, but they loved the community it provided. And I was like, it was hearing them say that to me. And I'm like, yeah, that, that is what it is for me too. This is where my friends are. And you should mm -hmm. have friends at work. It's odd when we don't have friends at work. It's where we spend most of our time, right? Right, right. I literally have so I literally have goosebumps right now because I mean, first of all, just literally the work that you were doing prior to forming the organization is all about impact. So it's obvious you got into your career to make an impact, right? Oh, yes. So you're right. I I mean, 
and and um I know nothing about supercomputing, so I won't even <laughs> or physics, but so way out of my wheelhouse, so I won't even try to go there. But it's obvious, you know, the work that you were doing was all about having an impact. And what I love about what you're sharing, Tony, is you saw this opportunity, you felt the way you felt, and I love that you didn't sit back and just let it be. I love that you also did something else to have an impact. You know, you had not only an impact for yourself thinking, oh, well, I'll build this small community of women, but obviously you tapped into something that was so desperately needed in your field because here you have a thousand members over 68 countries in this organization where you tap into exactly what women need, in my opinion, are one, community, and two, women need to be heard. Yes. And in, I think if those two components are nurtured and fed, literally, I think I, I literally have physical goosebumps right now because I literally because I know that if those two factors are fed, literally the the impact is limitless. Women are are able and in a community to do amazing things. And I just, yeah, you're giving me goosebumps here in this back. And I, that is exactly why I do what I do. I said from, I think I've been saying this since I was like five years old, I'm here to change the world. When I started saying it as an adult, I, people would look at me weird and I would just laugh. I'm like, I'm here to change the world. Ha, ha. And now I genuinely say it to myself every day and feel it. And I'm like, to every single one of my clients, I'm like, why are you here? Like, what thing are you bringing? And when we have that level of purpose to make a positive impact, and positive impact comes in all different flavors. My definition of positive impact is not the same as any single one of my clients, right? We all have our own definition, and that's beautiful, and that's fabulous. But when we make that positive impact, when we are a force for good change and positivity and leaving something better than what we started with, the world is only going to be a better place. And I just... That's why we do what we do. <laughs> yeah. No, I completely agree. And then here you transitioned into another career, mm. right? That is also about having impact on women specifically. That's why you're on the podcast today. Um, but I love what you're saying. And I think it's so important because I don't want any listener listening to think, okay, you have a doctor, Tony Collis, on the show who has, you know, built this amazing organization for women with a thousand members over 68 countries. Yeah, that's amazing. And she's phenomenal, but I can't do that. I'm in a small town somewhere. I don't have, I don't have access to that kind of people, those kind of people or resources. I'm not in tech. You know, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of uh, comparisonitis. I think that, that women specifically, go through. And what I want to offer up to my listeners is when you are a really phenomenal mom and your goal is to raise one, two, three amazing children, you are making an impact and that is your purpose. If that's your purpose, right? It's like, it's taking whatever you have in your life. It could be helping uh, the older woman coming out of the grocery store, you know, it could just be, it could be being a kind person. It could be, uh, 
you're a leader at work and you help another woman of color get promoted into a role that she's qualified for. So when I talk about being phenomenal and having an impact, you know, I just want everyone listening to know that you absolutely have the capability to have an impact in this world and to find your purpose and to leave it better than what you found it. And it could just be simply by making someone's day by paying for the Starbucks, the, the guests behind you at Starbucks, right? So I that that could have that could mean something so important to somebody who's having a really bad day with COVID and maybe lost a someone in their family. So it doesn't have to be grand. And I love the impact that you've had, ma- that you've made, Tony. It's so powerful. Um, but I did think it was important to kind of stop and pause and just say that we all have the potential for impact. I, I love that you said that, and um, partly because the it's only now that I can look back and say what I just said. In the moment, I genuinely felt like I was taking such baby steps. Like I'll just do this one tiny thing, and I think that's how I kept going and. I honestly didn't know what I was setting out to do when I set out to do it. I just right. made it up and it was baby steps. It was those tiny little, what can I do today to make the world a better place? And I also love the fact that you said about you know lifting other people up, getting them, getting a woman of color into a position that she deserved. Because one of the things I am truly passionate about is us as women, because we do have barriers, even white privileged women like you and I, I'm fully aware that my privilege has got me partly to where I am today. Huge impact Mm -hmm. on it. So one of the things I'm incredibly passionate about is when we face a hurdle, however big it is, and we get over it, even if we fall over on the other side of the hurdle, time to dust ourselves off and lift somebody up over that hurdle who doesn't have what we have for whatever reason. Don't judge why they don't have, because you don't know what half the things that are facing people, we can only see a tiny fraction of the visible stuff. There is so much going on that holds people back that we cannot see. So lift somebody else up who's struggling. We don't all have to struggle in the same way. This idea that I had to work this hard to be here, therefore somebody else does, is just not true. When we reach back and lift somebody else up, it's only going to do fabulous things for us as well as them. And I just... I feel so strongly that we need more of that. <laughs> I I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. So kind of, uh, you know, backtracking a little bit to your career, um, you, you we, we spoke before the show. And first of all, I love the story of your journey. And, you know, because here you are a woman in a very male-dominated industry. You're creating this organization. And the other thing I love about your journey is that you consider yourself an introvert. Mm, And I think there, right. And I think there are so many introverts that struggle because they feel like, oh, well, leadership, any kind of leadership is, you know, for that extroverted, very dynamic personality person who's, you know, making grand gestures and and can, you know, command a room, et cetera. And I think a lot of introverts have a lot of limiting beliefs about their possibilities and what's required of them to move up in an organization. So I would love for you to share a little bit about um, kind of an introvert's journey to the C-suite. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the interesting thing is, I was actually reading a, something a couple of weeks ago, and I cannot for the life of me remember where this was or what the exact data was, but 
is something like the majority of C-suite people in Fortune 500 companies are introverts. Like this whole idea that introverts don't rise up is just not true. They actually make fabulous leaders. I think partly because we have to overcome so much self-doubt. Not that extroverts don't have self-doubt they have as much as we do, but I think it manifests in a different way. And I think that can very easily lead you to being a more emotionally intelligent leader, which is we both know is a huge part of leadership. Yes. Is that emotional intelligence? And I'd certainly say that's what got me to where I got to all the way to the C-suite before then deciding to run my own business. Uh, it was a large part of realizing the impact I had was through having conversation. I have I talked about this a lot in the past in that I am the person when there's a networking event with food and, and wine and all this, I will hide behind the food and the wine. I will get my plate, <laughs> I will get my glass of wine and I will stand in the corner and be completely unavailable. <laughs> they are my idea of hell. <laughs> like right. a networking event is horrific <laughs> for me. And I think even some extroverts, actually, it's fairly unpleasant. It's so artificial. The way I got yeah. to the C-suite was by having genuine conversations, which you and I both know is actually how we get ahead, irrespective of personalities. Yeah. But I think most of us start with the belief of somehow I have to be this all-go-getter who's just so happy to be the center of attention, and that's how I get ahead. And actually, no, the way you do it, the way I got to the C-suite was having one-on-one conversations I had a network. I built my network through one-on-one conversations. They would introduce me to somebody else, introduce me to somebody else. And those conversations were really along the lines of, tell me what you're struggling with. Um, My clients quite often talk to me about how I can see straight to the problem. And that's exactly how I got to the C-suite. I saw straight to a problem. They tell me what they're struggling with. And I'd be like, well, so have you tried? What about? And it was having conversations like that. And one in particular where I was like, well, you need to do this, this, and this. And then having built the confidence through having my own coach and my own mentor to then say, and by the way, I can help you with that. And I'd be really excited to come and work with your company. And then going, oh, she's open to this opportunity. That would be amazing. And they created a role for me in the C-suite. And that's the most powerful way to get ahead because when you get those roles created for you around what you're excited about around a company that has a mission you're passionate about around knowledge that you have that you know if you bring that to the table you are going to light up you are going to deliver on a level that you aren't able to currently deliver on when you do that people can't help but recruit you like it is in in hindsight it was simple but it was accidental that I discovered the recipe as it was (laughs) But it was Mm -hmm. actually simple. It was just having enough of those conversations. And as an introvert, I was way more comfortable having those one-on-one conversations. I built the relationship one-on-one rather than standing in front of, I mean, I I do do public speaking. I have, that's one of the things about running a charity is, which I don't run anymore, but I did. Goodness knows how many keynotes around the theme of women in high performance computing over the space of three years. I was very visible, but that is what got me the leadership roles. Yeah. So, so Tony, I love. There's so much to unpack here. Um, <laughs> I and I love. I love what you're sharing because it's so important. Um, and it just so happens um, that the topic, kind of the overall theme of the month of October on the podcast, is all around networking. 
And it's the theme in my coaching practice. It's the theme in the mastermind that I'm running. And it's all around networking. And I love what you're saying because it's so in alignment with what I'm talking about in those conversations is you have to know how you show up best. So for an extrovert, not all extroverts, because I'm an extrovert, but I'm also an intimate extrovert. So I also don't necessarily like the big networking events. I will usually gravitate to you know one or two people and then talk to them all night long, which <laughs> really isn't the point of networking. But but it goes back to like that's what I feel comfortable with. And I love what you talk about because I think people need to find a way of networking that is comfortable to them. Mm-hmm. If they love going to big events, you know, go to big events. Um, have as many conversations as you can. If you're more introverted, you know, really focus on those one-on-one conversations and and creating that intimacy. And so I think you need to find what resonates with you because I think people think networking is a one-size-fits-all. But the thing that is universal, no matter if you're introvert or extrovert, which I love that you speak about because it's also what I teach, is leading with service, leading with value. And that's exactly what you did. It's you heard what they were saying. You were able, you know, because you're superpower to get to the root of the problem And then you're providing value, you're providing service of saying, you know, have you thought about this? Have you tried this? And in providing that service and that value, you know, and by the way, I can help you with it, you created a role for yourself in the C-suite. And again, a role that was totally in flow. I mean, you were hitting on all cylinders. You were with a company that meant, you know, that had a mission that you were behind. You were in a role that essentially you created because you loved obviously working with people that you were having conversations with and that you were wanting to be in connection with. And I think, you know, one of my taglines is I help women ask for what they want so they can get what they deserve. And so again, I love that you're talking about this because I think so many times women have so much to offer and they hold back. Do you have any thoughts about what I'm saying? Oh gosh, so many. I just, just even learning how to ask, I, I would say that's the number one thing I have to coach women through is how to make the ask, whether they're asking for a pay rise, whether they're asking for help, whether they're asking for time off, asking their partner to like do the childcare. I think we're conditioned that we have to have it all. We have to do it all. We can't possibly and that permeates into everything from, you know, I want to work on this project to asking for the job all the way back to I need help getting dinner on the table tonight. Side note, yeah. I had to ask for help getting dinner on the table tonight because we're doing this <laughs> podcast um, after hours. And my husband was like, so dinner? And I was like, you're doing it. <laughs> A few years ago, I don't think I'd have asked for that. Just side note. Um, yeah. And so do you have any, maybe, uh, you know, just one or two tips uh, to help women really uh, get more comfortable with the asking or or specifically how to ask? I think um, a big one is learning how to frame it as this is going to be beneficial to them as well as me. I think a lot of the time we get so hung up on this whole give and take. And um, as you pointed out with with the previous thing, one of the things I did was I, I gave a lot. I gave a lot of advice. I gave a lot of insight. I got to the pen in the heart of the problem. If you're that kind of person, I definitely give. I, I'm a big believer in giving free value. And you know what? It always 
reach towards. I'm not tit for tat. I'm not all about taking. I'm definitely not about getting as much as I give. And but the flip side of that is if I'm giving that much, what's what's the harm in then asking for something? There's, you know, at some point it's worth saying, hey, how about this? And by the way, here's why this is good for you. Even asking for a promotion at work, at the end of the day, your boss isn't going to give you a promotion if it's just going to benefit you. You get a promotion because it's good for the business. Exactly. Right? And so if you can get, I would say to clients, like if you're asking for a promotion, you're asking for a pay rise, tell them the return on investment. That's how you get it. If you're asking for a sideways move, tell them a return on investment because it isn't zero sum, even if you're keeping the same salary, because they've got to train you up. They've got to replace you in your current role. There are costs associated, even if it's just time. Mm-hmm. And so get behind the return on investment. And when you do that work to understand the return on investment, even with your partner, <laughs> the return on my invest- an investment for my husband tonight is that he gets dinner when we finish the podcast rather than 40 minutes later. <laughs> right. So get, right. that makes it all sound so cynical. But when you start doing that work, it becomes second nature. And I suspect, although I don't coach men, um, I suspect that's something that men have never, they're less conditioned and they never have to uncondition that. Because I am now at the point where not in every aspect of my life, because there is always work to do. <laughs> but in many aspects, I now see the ROI for people, like of me asking for something. I'm like, well, if we did this, how about this would be good? Mm-hmm. And that no longer stops me, no longer holds me back. And I think that's what men just have automatically because they don't have the conditioning we have early on that says, we have to be all things to all people and always perfect and always just wonderful and never, ever ask for anything because how dare we? We're women. <laughs> men men mm-hmm. just haven't had that conditioning. So I, I think that's that's the number one thing I would say is understand your ROI and do not be afraid of it. Do not own it. You are amazing. The very fact you're listening to this podcast tells me something about you, that you are amazing and you have something beautiful to give. So own that. I lo- I completely support everything you're saying, Tony. I absolutely love it. So, Tony, I'd love to transition into the journey to the C-suite. So we talked about your journey. I would also love for you to comment on what specific skills or behaviors do you see women needing to cultivate as they climb the corporate ladder? Obviously, you know, there's the famous book, like, what got you here? It won't get you there. Mm. So I think there's a lot of skills that um, for both men and women that need to transition as you move up the ladder. And I'm just really curious to get your perspective on that for women specifically. Um, I would definitely say one of the big ones is decision-making styles. I, again, this I think everything I would say applies to both men and women. Mm-hmm. I think some of the things though, because of the conditioning we've experienced and because of the bias we experience in the workplace, which sadly, it's not going anywhere anywhere, anytime soon. I think it's harder for us to shine. And that's the main difference. In terms of the operational, there is no difference. This idea that, you know, assertiveness and all that, we do need to be assertive. I actually think one of the problems is there's a lot of bad management, not leadership, but management by men because of the unconscious bias in the favor of men. And so, we shouldn't necessarily use the, the male style of leadership as a, as a role model is a big one, mm-hmm. but not because there aren't good male leaders out there, but because there's a, there's a number of 
poor male managers out there. But the big one I do see that I, I think everybody struggles with, and particularly when we are fighting our imposter syndrome, is how we make decisions. Um, and imposter syndrome is possibly, it's debatable, but it's quite likely to be higher in women in, uh, in leadership roles than it is in men in leadership roles, again, because of our experiences, although there is debate about whether it's a higher proportion. But I think when we have self-doubt and imposter syndrome flaring up, um, and we need to be changing the way we make decisions, because as you rise up, you have to move from very action-based, very swift decisions to much more strategic decision-making. And it is a completely different approach in actually how you get the information you need, how you disseminate it. It very much changes. It's one of the things that trips people up. It, this worked for me before, as you say, won't work for you now. I think decision-making is the number one thing that gets people tripped up as they rise up. And I think we have the double whammy of so much self-doubt. If you don't tackle that, and every time you rise up a level, even if it doesn't go along with a paycheck or a job title, but if something else has changed that means you've risen up a level, your imposter syndrome will raise its head again. I don't think it ever goes away. Mm-hmm. I think what happens is we get better at tackling our imposter feelings. We recognize them more. Hopefully you've put in place mechanisms for identifying it quickly and dealing with it swiftly, but it doesn't actually go anywhere. And if you don't deal with that before changing and recognizing you need to change your decision-making processes, you aren't able to make the right changes. I would say that is probably the number one barrier to great leadership as you go up that I see in in women, but I only work with women. So (laughs) I have a little bit of a bias there. (laughs) Right. So, so, and thank you for sharing that, Tony. So you talk about, um, you talk about, you know, maybe in lower levels in the organization, making swift decisions quickly is a skill that's needed. And then as you're going up in that, that decision-making needs to change, obviously it needs to become more strategic. So what are the specific maybe tips or advice that you would give for women as they transition from more of that tactical decision-making to more of that strategic decision-making? Stop holding on to those tactical decisions. Like, it's not your job anymore. (laughs) In Mm -hmm. fact, it's a disservice to the people that now report to you if you hold on to it. So many of us are bottlenecks. And hey, I was there too. I was totally a bottleneck at various points where I held on to the thing I did before that got me to where I am now. I almost didn't know how to let go. And I think especially in the tech industry, I suspect all industries, but it's really clear in the tech industry where you are constantly rewarded early on in your career for being a great programmer, a great engineer, a great, you know, the technical thing, the qualification that got you into your entry-level job. That is what a lot of people in the first few rungs of their career talk about as being the work, the real work. Management has this label of not being real work. And so you rise up, You've, you've been taking decisions, perhaps you become a technical lead, people come to you, but you're still making technical decisions, like the day-to-day of like, what direction do we need to go in here? And like, well, how do we solve this very specific technical question? And then you rise up a level and you carry on being the person making those decisions. And unless you say to your team, hey, no, that's yours now. Like this is your this is your decision making framework. This is where you are able to make decisions. Be really clear with them where their boundaries are, whether it is uh, like you know frameworks on spending, whether it's a framework on 
okay, so this is your project. Come back to me when that outcome is achieved. But within that outcome, you get to make decisions. If you don't do that, they will continue bringing those decisions to you because they don't know any different either. It's your job. The reason you were promoted or the reason you were given that new job is because you have gone past it and it's now your job to educate them in the same way that somebody educated you back then. And, and the higher up you go, the less education you get from the people above you. They just expect you to get it. <laughs> so you've mm-hmm. got to figure this out for yourself. I think that's a lot of the reason why many people get mentors and coaches as they go up the ranks is because yeah. they don't get that informally anymore, yeah. which, by the way, is a huge shame. But <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and, and just a side note, they also don't get as much um, feedback as well yes. as, as they go up the ranks. Mm. So that's also I think that's also an issue, too. Yeah, it just it, it snowballs at that point, because at some point somebody's making all these decisions and being a bottleneck and then. Either you burn out because you can't possibly do that or you damage the business and you get demoted. Those are the two extreme ends that I've seen occur. Sadly, you should never get even close to that. You should realize, hopefully, that somebody quite often has to point out to you, as you say, lack of feedback is a big problem. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, you get feedback because something has gone wrong, at which point it's actually sometimes too late. Not always too late. There's There's always something you can salvage. But... I think recognizing that earlier, delegating decision-making and realizing the decisions you should be making and getting clarity from the people above you as to where your boundaries are and your decision-making. Say, hey, what's my spending limit? Hey, what's my headcount limit? Like, what am I, where are my limits on my decision-making on the projects I'm allowed to work on? Do Am I allowed to bring in my own projects? Am I always going to be specified the projects? What are my boundaries? And then decide the boundaries for people reporting to you. No, I love what you're saying because I think, you know, once you get that clarity for yourself in your role, um, for your people, right, you're giving that clarity, your team can operate with confidence. And then when once you get that from your superiors, you can also operate with confidence, knowing what those what those boundaries are. And I think once people have clear expectations, it's no different than raising kids, right? Kids need <laughs> yes. to know kids need to know their boundaries as well. And once they know those boundaries, they know if they've stepped over the line or not. And if they don't know what those boundaries are, there's a lot of confusion. And so I think it's exactly the same in the workforce. So and I, I I love everything you're sharing, Tony. Thank you so much. Um, I would love for you just to touch on how you transitioned from being a C-suite executive in the tech industry to a leadership coach. It's actually because of the charity Women High Performance Computing. I, you know, that was always a side thing. I just did it because I was passionate. My job was in high performance computing, that whole industry as a sector with supercomputers. And I realized that I was, I was having less fun running the charity because I'd moved into policy work and and managing and fundraising and all that stuff that is incredibly important, but it just wasn't lighting me up. So I started doing informal coaching and mentoring. And I was like, this is this is what I love doing. And I was having this conversation with my husband. I was like, this is this is what I want to do. It's not tech. I had huge imposter syndrome around it. I was like, it's not technical. It's not seen as a good thing. It is a good thing, by the way, people. But I definitely had those blinkers on. Um, and I was like, people won't see me as valuable. And, and it just gradually warmed up to it. And I was like, well, if this is what I'm meant to do, if this is what lights me up, I need to let go of being obsessed with doing the technical stuff. And I wasn't doing as much technical stuff because I wasn't the C-suite. And that was part of my journey was learning how to let go of it anywhere. I was like, I basically 
somebody who makes a lot of decisions. <laughs> Why don't I help other people make decisions? And so it was just the realization of it fulfills my mission. My mission has always been get more women at the table. And when we do that, we make the world a better place. It fulfills my mission. It made me happy. And then I was just, I realized I was kind of done with that company. And I was, uh, and it, I will admit, having an amazing champion in my husband was a huge part of it. It was, mm. it was like, if this is what you're meant to do, why aren't you going for it? And I was just like, well, okay then. And so I'm not sure I'd have done it if I hadn't had a champion. Um, I think all of us need a champion. I have multiple champions now. I have my own coach <laughs> who champions me every single week, bless her. But I think we do sometimes need champions. And I don't think I'd have taken that plunge if I hadn't had him. And it has been the single best thing I've ever done was stepping out and doing it. And I feel I feel like I'm making an even bigger impact than I did before. And I've worked on all sorts of projects from helping to design nuclear fusion reactors to help reduce the carbon footprint. Like that was one of the jobs I had to, as I mentioned, um, design and medicines and that sort of stuff. The beauty of supercomputing is you impact all sorts of positive things. And yet what I do now, honestly, the variety of women I work with, some who are just running their own small business, but totally hitting it all the way through to working with people working with, in multinationals I just this is it <laughs> this is this is the impact I'm meant to bring to the to planet earth I totally understand on every level so I applaud I applaud you for following following your heart and following your your purpose and really identifying that for yourself because it's obvious as I mentioned earlier in the podcast and it's so obvious because you know you've changed the world through your contributions in supercomputing, in tech. You've changed the world through your impact in the organization you developed in giving women a platform in tech to be seen and heard and to build a community. And now you're changing the world by helping women from all levels in business, from that small business owner to that woman in that multinational corporation, also know that they have a champion in their corner. So... Tony, I just, I love your work. I can totally relate to it as well with regard to having a champion. My husband has also been a huge champion for my business and so have my kids actually, um, you know, and they've just seen me come to life and just really being illuminated every day and excited about the work that I'm doing every day. And I feel that, you know, not only am I making an impact on my clients and that feels so good, but I'm making an impact on my daughters, showing them what it looks like because they've seen the difference of what it looks like for me to get up and just go to a job each day and then wake up and go to a calling each day. It's mm. so different. And I've been really um, happy about providing that role model as well to my to my kids. It feels really meaningful and impactful as well. So um, I love that we're, you know, we're both on this journey of impacting women. And, and, you know, in my 12-week coaching program, one of the biggest things that women say is they love the community. And, and I will tell you, you know, having worked in a male-dominated industry, um, I had great female friends, like a handful, right? Because, and they were all over the country. And I think what I've loved most about transitioning careers and really focusing on women is I have met literally hundreds of women in the last year or two. Uh, 
I'm in community with women every week. I'm I'm coaching women and it's just so fulfilling on such a deep level to really support and impact women. So I completely understand. I I, I love the work that you're doing. Um, do you have any last thoughts or key takeaways that you want to give my listeners today? What I would say is something I sort of, say, I'm going to paraphrase something I say at the end is every, every single podcast episode I do and a lot of my Facebook lives is that it's time to lead as a leading woman because the world really needs every single one of us and our own uniqueness. Every single one of us is unique and therefore every single one of us has something really important to bring to the table. And you owe it not just to yourself, but to everyone else, including, hey, your kids, if that's where you are. But broader than that, you owe it to every single one of us to bring your special uniqueness and all its power and flavor and color to the table. And don't be afraid. Don't conform because actually it's your uniqueness that makes you so influential and so important. Uh, okay. I wish everyone could see me because I'm smiling from ear to ear. Tony, that was amazing. It was a great way to end this time together. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom with my audience. I'm so grateful. Keep doing what you're doing. The world needs your gifts. And I'm super grateful that you were able to come here and share some of them with my audience. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.